How you been? Hey, I'm Arthur. I'm one of the pastors and really glad that you're here today. Thanks for, I thought yesterday we were going to have to swim to church. I thought the animals were going to pair up and it was going to be that kind of weekend, but uh, it held off just a little bit. So really glad that you're here with us this morning and want to tell everyone who's watching online, welcome. Thanks for joining us. And uh, especially welcome to our LaGrange campus this morning. I want to tell you welcome. And, uh, you know, I got to eat lunch with Pete and Angie yesterday, Pastor Pete and his wife Angie. And, you know, they are some of the very best people on the planet. And uh, at LaGrange this morning, y'all, y'all tell them how special they are because they're just amazing, incredible people, right? And... Um, I know a lot of you have had, I have not taken three steps this morning without somebody saying, um, Arthur, where's your orange today? Well, you know, like Alison Krauss says, um, you know, you, you say it best when you say nothing at all. <laughs> so I don't think Monday needs any explanation. <laughs> and for those of you, uh, you're welcome. <laughs> so uh, I had a lot of people tell me, you know what? I don't have any love for Clemson, but I can't stand Alabama. So thank you very much. So you're welcome. I had nothing to do with it, but I'll take all the credit. Hey, if you got your Bible with you this morning, we're going to be in the book of Hebrews starting off this morning. And if you're new here and uh, this is your first Sunday here, I'm glad that you're here. And uh, if you want to know how things kind of go, uh, usually what I do is I read the Bible a little bit and then I talk a little bit, then I read the Bible a little bit more and I talk a little bit more and some, eventually somebody says, that's enough, let's go home. So uh, that's sort of what we're going to do here for a few minutes. And so uh, Hebrews is a little bit of a different book. Uh, we're not sure who wrote the book of Hebrews. And so uh, if I say something about it this morning, I'll, say, I'll refer to the writer of Hebrews. And we have some ideas who may have written it, but nobody is really sure. It's written to Jewish believers. And so they were under tremendous persecution because they were being torn in one direction, uh, saying, hey, listen, you need to be really Jewish. And, uh, but I've also been torn in a different direction by new uh, Christians who say, look, you need to abandon uh, some of these things that you have held on to, believed to be true. And really, the thing that I think is unique about the book of Hebrews is that it is not really a book. It's not really a letter. Uh, it's much more of a transcription of a sermon. Uh, this most likely was someone speaking, and so someone sort of transcribed what was said. And so basically what happens in the first part of Hebrews is the writer of Hebrews records that Jesus is better. And he says, Jesus is better than the angels. Jesus is better than the law. And he goes through making this case about how Jesus is better and Jesus is better and Jesus is better than the old covenant. And he talks about the old sacrificial system and all of these things. And he keeps going through, Jesus is better, Jesus is better, Jesus is better. And then you get to Hebrews chapter 10. And you can see, if you know anything about public speaking, that what happens is almost he pivots at this point as though he's speaking and says, okay, so I said all of that to say this. And so when you get to verse 19 of Hebrews chapter 10, which is where we're going to start today, it says very simply this, therefore, and of course, anytime you see the word in the Bible, you know, this word therefore, you say, when you see therefore, you ask, what's it therefore? And so he's talking about all these other things that he's 
uh, spent time talking about how Jesus is better. And he says, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, he says, let us, and notice in this passage, we're gonna look at this morning, there are three of these let us statements. And so we're gonna come back and look at each of these three statements very quickly. So it says, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. And here's the second one. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. And here's the third one. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. And so what we're talking about in this, uh, this series, Passport, we're talking about God has already given us our passport, the ability for us to be able to go and do ministry. And last week, we really talked a lot about reaching people who are far from God. And today, we're going to talk about how we minister to one another. And we're going to very specific application with all this today. All right? So let's look at this first let us statement. The first one in verse 22, it says, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. So this first thing that the writer of Hebrews says, he says, let us, let us draw near to God. Now, you see, now here's the thing. For most of us, we have over-familiarized ourselves with God. We look at him sometimes like he's a butler or he's our friend or he's our buddy. And, and, and we, it, it sounds kind of strange, but, but we've kind of over-familiarized ourselves with God and we have lost or forgotten the idea that God spoke the universe into existence, that he created all things, that there's nothing that he cannot do. There's nothing that's too big for him. There's nothing that's too small for him. And we have lost this idea of the awesomeness or the immensity of God. Uh, now, that was not an issue for Jewish believers when the book of he- Hebrews was written to them. And so uh, they, on the other hand, were terrified. And maybe this is you. They were terrified to talk to God because they remember God as being a, a, a burning fire at night as a cloud that led the Israelites through the wilderness. Uh, They remember that God was the one who had allowed the Babylonians and the Chaldeans and the Egyptians to come and run roughshod over the Jewish people at times so that they could be disciplined. And so there there was such a fear that they had of God that they thought, I, I, I can't even communicate with him. I, I can't talk with him. And, and maybe sometimes you're that way too because maybe you have thought that I did some things over Christmas that I don't think God's going to be really happy with. Uh, you know, maybe some things happened last summer. Maybe some things happened five years ago. And you just think, well, you know, God's not very pleased with me and God doesn't want anything to do with me. Well, that's, that, that's not true. Because what, what is very true is that, that we can draw near to God. And I, I, how do we know that we can do that? Because we can, the Bible even says that we can have confidence in approaching the throne of God. We don't have to be fearful. So I, how do we know that we can do that? Well, two things really. Is, the first thing is that Jesus paid for our sin. Uh, when Jesus died on the cross, he, he paid for our sins so that we can have a relationship with God through his, through his son, Jesus. 
that's why Jesus died and gave his life for us on the cross is so that we could have this relationship and not be in this fearful, uh, awful, awkward uh, kind of relationship with God. Uh, and the other thing is, is that, is that Jesus also intercedes for us as our high priest. And so that there is a, a mediator between, the Bible talks about, between us and God. So in 1 John chapter 2, verse 1, you see an, an example of both of these things that Jesus did so that we can have a relationship with God and that we can draw near to him. And it says, um, 1 John 2, verse 1, it says, my little children, it says, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate. Now, an advocate, now most of us, well, maybe not most of us, I shouldn't say that. A few of us, perhaps, have stood in front of a judge. (laughs) Now, when you stand in front of a judge, that is a, it's an uncomfortable thing. But imagine that you were standing in front of the judge, but that judge is also your defense attorney. And that judge who's also your defense attorney is also going to pay the penalty for the crime that you did. Whether it was a speeding ticket and you have to pay a fine or whether it was a crime that's going to require two years of probation. That's what an advocate does. And that's what Jesus is saying that he is for us. That he is our defense attorney and he has paid the penalty. So he is our advocate. He speaks on our behalf. He always sees the good in you. Look, Jesus always sees the good in you. Don't ever question that. Don't ever think that that he does not see the good in you. He looks at you. He sees the good in you. He sees who you are and who he made you to be. He sees the good in you. So going on to the next verse, it says, um, he is the propitiation. That's a big church word right there. He is the propitiation, meaning he paid the penalty for our sin. He gave of himself freely for our sin and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Uh, So, uh, so that's the first thing we see is that we can draw near to God. The second thing he says uh, is that um, is in verse 23 of Hebrews chapter 10. And it says this, it says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. So basically what the writer of Hebrews is talking about here, he says, look, no matter what happens, don't lose hope. No matter what happens, don't lose hope. And here's for a lot of us, you know, we look out the windshield of life and we see so much stuff coming at us that sometimes life gets overwhelming and it's coming at us in a hurry. And, you know, we see a few things here, but we see things off in our peripheral vision and it just becomes overwhelming. And so, uh, but, but basically what you can do at that point is you remember God's faithfulness. You look in the rear view mirror of life and you look back and you go, okay, God is taking care of me here and God is taking care of me here and God has seen me through these things. And so the writer of Hebrews here says, look, no matter what happens, how difficult things are, he says, no matter what the circumstances might be, don't lose hope. God is not going to abandon you. God is not going to betray you. Uh, God is not going to walk away from you. He is always, always, always going to be with you. It doesn't matter what you do or where you go or who it's with, he's always going to be with you. Um, And then... Um, he, he says, and then there's this, uh, this next let us. He says, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, 
but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. And that word day is capitalized there because the writer of Hebrews is talking about the day that Jesus is returning. And he says, so as it gets with each day uh, passes, it's, it's closer and closer to the return of Jesus. So keeping that in mind, knowing that Jesus is coming back, that ought to spur us or stir us. Uh, it says in this translation, if you use a different translation of the Bible, it may say use the word spur uh, to encourage one another to um, do love and good deeds. So that's the third thing we see is to help each other to love and to do good deeds. Now, now this is huge. A lot of times we look at this idea of loving each other and doing good deeds as that's extra credit. Look, if I do this, God will love me just a little bit more. But no, this is, I mean, this is at the core of what we do as Christ followers. We help each other to love one another and to do good deeds. Uh, loving others is proof that we are sons and daughters of God. If you want to say, look, I'm not sure whether that guy's a Christ follower or not. Look, how does he treat other Christ followers? How, how, does he love them? Does he do good deeds? For them? Do, you, do you feel that you have to do that? or that you get to do that. Uh, it's, it's a big difference. And, and, and good fruit is proof that I have been made new. Now, see, a lot of times discipleship gets measured by how much somebody knows. Have you ever noticed that? That guy, he must be really godly. Man, he really knows his Bible. Well, you know, that's not what the Bible says. It, it doesn't say that's how you see that somebody's really growing their relationship with the Lord, by how much knowledge they have attained. Or say, man, that guy over there, you know what? He prays all the time. And so a, a lot of times, you know, somebody will say, well, I'm, I'm really growing in my relationship with the Lord because I feel close to the Lord. I really feel him. Or, you know, you go somewhere and you sing a song or somebody sings a song or somebody reads something and you just, and then something just swells inside of you. You know, you get the Jesus measles on top of your head. You know, oh, it was so good. But, but that's not what the Bible talks about. How you grow in your relationship with Jesus is by how you feel. That's, that's not it. Really, because we sit and say, well, I feel close to God. He must be close to me. But, but, but the Bible has a different lens. The Bible doesn't look at it that way. Look, look at 1 John chapter 3, verse 14. It, it, says, it says, we know that we have passed out of death into life from being lost into being Christ followers, from being separated to God to being with him forever. Okay? We know that we have passed out of death into life. Why? Because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love, love abides in death. Now, see, in, in the Bible, love is not a feeling word. You know, love in English can mean very many things. You can love French fries. You can love football. You can love your wife. You can love your children. Uh, you can love your car. Love can mean very many things. And we attach love most often as a romantic feeling that we have towards someone. I fell in love with her. But in the, in the Bible, love is not always a feeling word. There is a feeling word associated with love in the Bible, but it's not always used that way. Love is an action word. Love is a decision. 
Love is a determination. Love is a, love is a, a, a dis, that you decide that you are going to love someone, that you're going to serve someone. Uh, that's the way it's most often talked about in the Bible. That's the way it's being talked about here. Um, and uh, love is an action word. It's, it's deciding. What, what makes me a Jesus follower um, is God birthing new behaviors in me. In that I began to change. I'm not the person that I used to be, but God is beginning to make me different. And one of the proofs, one of these new behaviors that we're growing in Jesus is that we are loving one another more. That's why the Bible talks about that we should love our enemies. Because, you know, you don't fall in love with your enemies, but you make a decision, I'm going to love this person. That's how that, how that works out. So that's what we do. We love, and, and love is the gauge in the Bible that shows, are you growing in your relationship with God or not? It's a determination that you make. First Corinthians chapter 13 is very often uh, read at weddings, and we talk about this as just a romantic love kind of thing, but it's not. It's, read through this. This is a determination, a decision on how we love someone. It says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels... But have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And so Paul writes here in 1 Corinthians that love is the best of all. Not, he didn't say it's how much you know. He didn't say attain some lofty knowledge. He says we should be loving one another. He says that's the best. And then over in Ephesians chapter 2, Paul also says this. In verse 10, he says, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now, see, I, I, I might know I need to be more loving, but the path from good intentions to good deeds is hard. So the key, the key to beginning to love people is peer pressure. The key to beginning to love people is peer pressure. Now, that seems a little crazy because a lot of us in this room, we have a negative connotation with peer pressure. And we think, oh, that's bad because don't let your friends pressure you into doing the wrong thing. Right? So peer pressure can be a very negative thing. But peer pressure can also be a very positive thing. Peer pressure is neutral. It's what are we going to do with it? How are we going to allow it to impact our lives? How does it impact the lives of other people around us? How are we going to use it? Because in reality, peer pressure is neutral. So what do we do? How can we figure out ways to use it positively? Well, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 33, he says, do not be deceived. He says, bad company ruins good morals. He said, so look, if, if you're around the wrong kind of people, it's going to mess you up. And then King Solomon in, in Proverbs 13, he says, he who walks with the wise, uh, 
whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. I, I've known this verse since I, my children were about 18 months old. We bought scripture memory videos when my kids were young. And so I, I know a rap to this. He who walks with the wise grows wise, but the companion of fools suffers harm. So I always go to that default, <laughs> the, uh, the version I learned, uh, memorized early on. And you never want to hear me rap. It's really bad, really bad. So whoever walks with the wise becomes wise. And so there's a promise here. If you walk with wise people, you will become wise. But if you determine that you are going to walk with fools, you're going to suffer harm. Now, a fool in the Bible is this. So a fool in the Bible is someone who knows the difference between right and wrong, but they just don't care. That's the biblical definition of a fool someone who knows the difference between right and wrong, but they just don't care. So if you determine that you are going to spend your time with someone who is a fool, who knows the difference between right and wrong, but just don't care, you are going to suffer harm. It's a promise. It's a guarantee. You spend time with the people who are fools, maybe not tomorrow, maybe not next week, maybe not next year, but at some point you are going to suffer harm. It's going to happen. But on the other hand, you make the determination, I'm going to walk with wise people. So let me see if I can illustrate this a little bit. All right, so this, nothing up my sleeves. This is just a regular piece of paper, okay? So check this out. Cool. Uh, got, got a little singe, you see that? But it, it's, it's okay, right? But as the, the paper spends more time in the fire... And if it stays there a while, it will, no surprise, catch on fire, right? But this is church paper. <laughs> right? Not some ordinary piece of paper. This is church paper. You know what it's been doing? Hanging out with other church pieces of paper. You know, it's got its own special little place. They all hang out in the same place. They talk about the same stuff. They talk about how cool it is to be green, right? So this is church paper. Now check this out. It didn't catch on fire either. Oh, but it got way too much time in the fire. And so what happened, right? And so... Even though it's church paper, it can stay there on the fire, right? It's not going to make a difference, is it? Oh, it catches on fire too. So when it gets apart and gets too close, it messes up too, right? So even church paper is susceptible to suffering harm. 
if it allows peer pressure to negatively impact it. Does that make sense? Okay, let's do this. So let's talk for a few minutes about how we can use peer pressure in a positive way to spur us on to do love and good deeds. How, how can we best accomplish that as individuals and as, as a church? Because these first two things in Hebrews that it tells us to do are is that, hey, it's, hey, take care, you know, look, don't lose hope, right? Don't, don't, don't lose hope. And you can draw near to me, Arthur, but then, Arthur, there's something for all of us to do something that you need to do all together with a bunch of people. So so how do we do that? Let's let's talk about this for a minute. Because the the truth is, is that better together is is better. So uh, five things for you. Number one, Christianity is a team sport. Uh, Now, not like track. If you've ever run track or been around people who participate in track, track is all about, uh, there's about getting personal records and seeing how fast that you can run and how far you can throw it and how high you can jump as an individual. And it's not really about a team. It's like more like basketball or football, right? Christianity is a team sport. It's, It's meant for us to do things together because every single one of us has a personal relationship with God. And so, uh, and that personal relationship with God is something that all of us should treasure, but it's not a private relationship with each other. And so we've got to be willing to do life together. That's what's got to happen. The, 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 the greatest Christians are not those who pray a whole lot and who know a whole lot, but those who love and do good, do good deeds because we are the body of Christ. Right? That's who we are. We, we are the body of Christ. And so when we're the body of Christ, that means that when someone who is far from God, when they see us, if we are being the body of Christ, as the Bible tells us we should be the body of Christ, that means that we are the closest representation of Jesus on earth to someone who is far from God until Jesus comes back again. What an incredible opportunity we've got. We're the body of Christ, right? First Corinthians uh, chapter 12. Uh, verse 14, it says, for the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. So isolated Christianity doesn't work. See, if my hand decides, oh, you know what I'm going to go do? There's some, there's some hot coals over there. I'm going to go pick them up. I want to go do whatever I want to do. Okay. When my hand does that, it affects the rest of my body. It can't be separated. And so everything that we do as Christ followers ought to impact everybody else in the body. That's the way it's supposed to work. And so we take care of one another. We love one another. We encourage one another. We look after one another because everything that we do affects everybody else. We don't live our lives in isolation. You know, I have said this a zillion times over the years, but look, every, listen, sin has far-reaching effects. Sin does not just affect you. It's not just when you do it, you do, and it affects you and nobody else. No, it affects you, it affects your family, it affects your friends, it affects people that you're in relationship with. It's just as though I was to go to pick up hot coals. Listen, the rest of my body is going to suffer if my hand were to separate itself from my brain and go do something dumb like that. Uh, it, 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 doesn't, it, it doesn't lead to anything but disaster because we belong to one another. 
We're all part of one body. Uh, and in Romans 12, four through five, it says, for as in one body, we have many members and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. So the whole idea is that I ask, what do you need from me? Not, what can you do for me? See, I, this, when we live our lives this way, this is how we really get into accountability. Accountability is glass house living. Accountability is not four guys meeting for coffee on Saturday morning at 8.30 and asking each other five questions. Accountability is that we're doing life together. And accountability is not a bad thing. Accountability is what sharpens us, right? That's why Proverbs says uh, that as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. That means we've got to be living together. Now, see, now, now life has changed. When the Bible was written, someone would be born somewhere and they would grow up there and they would die there and their children would grow up there and they would die there and, and they, they stayed there. You know, it, it's still amazing to me that sometimes people will say, well, here's somebody say, well, you know, I've never left the state of Georgia my whole life. And somebody go, you should get a life. And I'm like, well, no, maybe they don't want to leave Georgia. Georgia's a great place. You know, but this whole idea of, of families living all over the United States and different places around the world, this is, that's relatively new. I mean, that's in the last 50, 60 years. And so it was very easy for all of us to know one another. You know, you, 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 your, your grandmother, she, she knew her neighbors and, and, and they knew her because they had always lived there. You know, there weren't always other places to go and things to do. And so people are used to living there and being close together. It's that way almost everywhere around the world. It's just in the Western world, we've decided to kind of migrate around and do some different things. And so, you know, so, so what do we do here? How do we try and do that? Look, we do life groups here. And so we're very intentional about, look, what can we do to be in relationship with one another? And not just, hey, let's figure out how, you know, let's figure out time we can get together as little as possible. But no, let's figure out how we can spend time together so that we can not just build relationships with one another, but also grow in our relationship with the Lord. And, you know, sometimes in, in life groups, people that, that, that think, well, I don't want to go to a Bible study. The point is not a Bible study. The, the point is building relationships with one another. That, that's what happens in life groups is that you begin to get to know one another and learn from one another and sharpen one another up. And so being in life groups is a huge part of biblical living because it allows you to be in a place where you can love one another and do good deeds. Spur one another on. Uh, consider how you can do that for each other. Uh, it, it's not about how many questions can you ask and how many can you get answered? It's not how much information can you gather. It's not how smart you can be. It's not so you can sit there and you can parse a verb 17 different ways from Romans chapter nine. It's not doing something like that, but really what, what it's about is growing relationships, being in relationship with one another. We're not trying to graduate a whole bunch of, of PhDs. We're trying to build people up for a team. Uh, second thing, uh, the, the church is God's plan A. There is no plan B. This is the deal. This is what God said. Look, I, you are the bride of Christ. Take care of the bride until the bridegroom comes back, until you see the day approaching. This is what we're supposed to be doing. Until Jesus comes back, the church, the gathered body of believers, the ecclesia, we are supposed to be gathered together, loving one another, doing good deeds, finding people who are far from God and loving them into a relationship with Jesus by doing good deeds 
for them through grace and kindness. So here's the deal. Look, you say, all right, look, I, I just can't do a life group. Fine. I get that. I understand. You know, you may be in a season of life right now where you just can't make it for three or four months, right? I, I get that. I understand that. But you've got to be in community with other believers. That's non-negotiable. You are going to suffer. You're going to wither. You're going to dry up if you're not in community with other believers. Uh, number three, uh, critical decisions should not be made alone. Look, you're going to have something that's going to come up in your life, and it's going to be difficult and and here's the thing is you never realize most of the time that's a critical decision until after the decision has already been made. Right? I, I, I tell people all the time, I, I want, when my children were teenagers, I wanted adults speaking into their lives. Because when you're 15 years old, we make dumb decisions. Right? Now, remember when you were 15 years old, who did you ask for advice when you were 15 years old? Other 15-year-olds. How smart was that? Right? I want a 15-year-old to be able to ask a 35-year-old, say, hey, I'm thinking about dating this girl. What do you think? I mean, how many, think back about some of those critical decisions that you've made and you, if you had just had somebody that you could have asked to get some wisdom from, what, what would you have done differently? You, you, sometimes you just can't make these critical decisions by yourselves. Uh, in uh, Proverbs fifteen twenty two says, without counsel, plans fail, but with many advisors, they succeed. Number four, some trials are too difficult to bear alone. Remember, Jesus was going to the cross. He's about to die. He's in the garden of Gethsemane and he takes Peter, James, and John with him. And he says, could you just stay here and pray with me? Look, if Jesus was going through something that was so difficult that he didn't want to be alone, don't ever think that you can handle things by yourself. You need other people to walk through life with you. If Ecclesiastes 4 verse 9 says, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow, but woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. And number five, number five, some temptations are too strong to resist alone. Some temptations are too strong to resist alone. Now, if you grew up in a Roman Catholic background, the idea was that when you face temptation and then you, and being tempted, there's nothing wrong with that. Everyone is tempted. But when you give in to temptation, you step across the line and you sin. If you grew up in a Roman Catholic background, you were to confess your sin to a priest. That was the understanding. And the priest would mediate for you and that he would um, give you something, um, perhaps some penance to do in response for, to your sin. If you grew up in a Protestant background, meaning any, if you grew up in a religious background, meaning anything other than Roman Catholic, you were most likely told that you were to confess your sin to God. Both of those approaches are non-biblical. Because what does the Bible say? The Bible says we confess our sins to God and to one another. All right? So that means, see, and confess means I agree with. 
And so that means that when you're struggling with temptation, you need some people in your life that you can say, hey, I'm really struggling with this. And see, when I say that, it makes us really nervous. And that tells you where we have gotten because you say, well, I'm struggling with something, but if I was to confess that to someone, I would be really embarrassed. Okay? So see, that means there's a break in those relationships already in there. Because as Christ followers, we should be willing to come alongside somebody no matter what they've done and say, look, I'm going to love you and I'm not going to walk away from you and I'm going to help you through this, right? You know, the other night, we kicked off Celebrate Recovery here. And man, it was so powerful. Incredible. If we could learn to be as honest in here as they were in there, I have no idea what God would begin to do with us. Remarkable. I mean, I'm not a crier. Brought tears to my eyes the other night. If we could be willing to come alongside one another, no, 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 no matter what, right? See, we prefer to keep our image together. And if, if, if we keep our image together, then nobody ever knows that we're struggling. So we share with one another so we can get help. So, so basically, you can maintain an image or you can get help. Why, why, why be miserable? And so the, the opportunity is to, is, to, is to say, I'm gonna do life with other people and you gotta be intentional about that. And so tonight at 5.30, it's life group launch. So I don't know what you got going on at 5.30, but you should be here. You should be here tonight. Look, there's a chili cook-off, we'll feed you. You know, you're gonna be around the absolute best people on the planet because it's Southcrest people. And you're going to be here and find a life group that works for you tonight, right? Be here tonight at 530 because, listen, we have life groups that meet in the mornings. We have them meet in the middle of the day. We have them, some that meet at restaurants, some meet at churches. This meet here, some meet at, um, uh, some, a, lot, a lot meet in homes. Uh, they meet just about every day of the week. Some of them meet every single week. Some of them meet once every two weeks. Some meet one, like once a month. But Get in a life group so that we can spur one another on to, to, to good deeds. We, we can't do life by ourselves. It's just not going to work. And you sit there and go, well, Arthur, look, if I go to life group, does that mean we're having a sin confession week one? Yes. No. Right? And, and no, that doesn't mean you go in there and say, well, let me tell you what I did last night. No. 
No, because we've got to be in relationship with one another and we're building relationships with one another, right? We're not jumping into, listen, we're not jumping into the deep end. We're, we're uh, rather think of it as getting the shallow end and we're walking down the steps, okay? And we're taking one step at a time, a next step, a next step, a next step, growing in relationship with one another so that we can spur one another on to love and good deeds until Jesus comes back. That's what we're supposed to be doing. I don't know if you uh, have ever been there, maybe you've seen pictures, but you know, the, the redwood forest in, um, in Northern California, you know, these giant redwood trees, uh, they live to be as old as 2,500 years old. They're giant, enormous. I mean, you can drive cars through the middle of them there. I mean, they're, they're huge. And they go up hundreds of feet in the air, but did you know they have very, very shallow roots? Because all their roots are very shallow, but they're intertwined like this. And so what happens when one tree gets sick, it takes some nutrition from another tree or trees around it so that it continues to be healthy. And that intermingling of roots is what makes those trees be able to survive drought, flood, heat, cold, infestation, all of it because of the, the tightness that they have of those intermingling of those roots. And we can survive the difficulties of life when we're living like this. Because what, what have we been talking about today? Look, consider how to spur one another on to love and good deeds. And so what are we going to do? Listen, let's be real and let's be vulnerable. Let's be open. Let's be honest with one another. And let's see the impact that makes on the world around us and in our lives too. All right? So Life Group Launch tonight at 530. Come on, I'll be looking for you. I'm looking around the room, so I see who's here. And so I'll be looking for you tonight, right? So tonight at 530, I'll see you here. If you can't make it here tonight, right? Because I know you had four flat tires at five o'clock this afternoon. And, you know, and your house caught on fire and you were baking, you, you, you were baking a cake to bring up here because you got all this chili. We've got to have a cake and you were baking a cake and the cake fell apart so you can't be here. If you can't be here, take that connect card that's in the seat back in front of you and say, put me in a life group and um, we'll get you in a life group. And if everything else falls apart and you have lost the ability to write with your hands, okay, then you can go online and find a life group as well. But tonight is the way to, the best way to be here because you can meet leaders, you can find what night it is, you can talk to them and you can say, hey, I think this would be a good, I think me and you, I think we could get along, right? So that's the whole idea. So I'll see you here tonight, right? Yes, awesome, let's pray.